Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 206 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week I was joined by one of my favorite up-and-coming photographers who keeps producing some of the most unique and stunning images I've seen in quite a long time, Renee Algesheimer. Renee is a Swiss photographer and professor of marketing and market research. He holds several college degrees and started his photography journey in 2015. We covered some absolutely wonderful topics this week, and you won't be disappointed to listen all the way through, I promise. Over on Patreon this week, Renee and I dis- discussed the new and exciting Clubhouse app and what its various applications are for photographers. Well, before we get started, I wanted to take a moment to tell you again about one of my favorite nature photography platforms, Nature Photographers Network. There are two wonderful features of NPN that you really need to see for yourself. The first is the critique forums. This is hands down the most informative and thoughtful place on the internet to improve your photography. Not only can you get great feedback on your images from professionals across the globe, you can also learn by reading critiques that are done on other photographers' images. The second aspect of NPN that I really like are the amazing articles written by many former podcast guests such as Guy Tao, Sarah Marino, Colleen Minnick, Eric Bennett, and many more. Listeners can get a free 60-day trial by visiting the link in the show notes. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, Renee Algesheimer, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me and uh, me and my accent in your show and uh, uh, have been listening to your podcast for a long while and uh, being a fan of that. And congratulations to the 200 episodes. That's a huge commitment and a huge work. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's awesome that I've <laughs> been able to stick it out this long. <laughs> so I will just start by saying, first of all, I really admire your photography quite a lot. I feel like it's very unique, it's very different, it's fresh. It has a lot of the qualities that I'm personally looking for when it comes to looking at other photographers' work and actually liking it. So kudos to you. Well, thank you. That is uh, bad expectations management. So I, I <laughs> thanks a lot. I, I'm really, I really appreciate your, your comment. Yeah, no problem at all. So uh, for people that might not be familiar with you, I would love for you to uh, tell tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is René Algesheimer. I'm uh, 48 years old and live with my family in the French-speaking part of Switzerland. Uh, in my professional life, I'm a scientist working at the University of Zurich. And in my artistic life, I'm a photographic artist and express myself through visual art and also write about that. I, I was actually super curious uh, to hear more about your your degrees because um, <laughs> and what you teach because I think that is very interesting. Uh, you have a very interesting background in education, and at some point, I would love to hear about how that has informed your artistic process. Sure. So this is always a difficult question for me because I consider myself to be quite humble. <laughs> And uh, so degrees, awards, and all these things, they are not important to me. And so what is important is that who you are and if you are happy in life and also how you can contribute um, to others. And so the impact that you create on others, I think this is the most important for me. And so who am I? I'm, um, 
Um, I'm a trained mathematician and uh, who has a PhD in, in marketing and management. And I currently work as a full professor of uh, market research at the University of Zurich. Uh, many call us data scientists. So that means we work with uh, analyzing huge data sets. Mm. And uh, so I gradually received the opportunity to manage um, a lab there at the University of Zurich with about 20, 25 young researchers, so assistant professors, PhDs, postdocs, students, and we work on the topic of social networks. So we work basically on three different areas, and uh, so we examine diffusion processes and analyze uh, why and how certain trends, for example, become um, trendy in networks. This also includes fake news, for example. Um, second topic is we are interested in how our socially connected lives influence our preferences, beliefs, and behaviors. And currently we do research on human values, how they emerge, how they modify, how they sustain and influence our daily actions. And we do that with uh, longitudinal projects and uh, where we study really the behavior of individuals. And so wow. finally... Last thing is we study sustainable behavior in terms of kind of food consumption, food waste, CO2 emissions, and some related behaviors. Um, the last thing explains also why I'm a fan of Nature First and uh, also almost since the beginning, and I'm a big supporter of that. Wow, yeah. So you've seen the impacts that social media and kind of the crowdsourcing of, of all of that stuff has an impact on everything we do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know we weren't planning on talking about it, but I, I was hoping maybe just spend a few more minutes uh, here. Just, <laughs> I would love to know through your lens as a data scientist and having access to all this huge data, how do you see the world of Instagram uh, through that lens? I mean, you, I know you're very active on the platform and you, you use it a lot to kind of convey your messages about your photographs and, and share, you know, share what you're up to in terms of your photography endeavors. But I, I feel like you also have this incredible insight as to how people consume and, and look at that type of media. And I'm wondering if that's given you any sort of advantage or, or how do you, what do you, how do you see that? <laughs> that's a good question. It's, it's probably also a loaded question. <laughs> and uh, I would say that a couple of years ago, so we've specialized uh, at our university in kind of digital marketing or digital management topics. And uh, we do that from a quantified lens. So as a mathematician, I analyze all these data sets. And um, so for me, from the beginning, it was quite clear that I can't teach kind of digital marketing if I, if I don't do that myself. And so I decided so I have to open up an Instagram account. I have to open up a Twitter account, a Facebook account, just to get to know how, to, how does it work uh, creating an advertisement and how, how, what, is, what is the mechanism on these platforms. And so that was the beginning of my photography basically as well because I just thought that the best thing you can do is you open up an account with things that you like. And because only people, they quickly recognize uh, what they what you like, what you don't like. And so I really wanted to do that with passion. And so that was the reason I opened up an Instagram account. Um, that was a little bit on the history of my, of my platforms. Mm, while I teach, and I'm quite interested in the mechanisms of these platforms, I am not a friend of the traditional marketing methods. And so I... 
I'm aware of many different tools and techniques, I would say, but I'm not applying them myself. This has to do because I'm quite shy, probably, because I don't want to market myself. I'd like to rather tend to let people discover me. And uh, if they discover me, and then I probably have the right people who are on my side who, who enjoy kind of my work. So that's a little bit about the the strategy and background. Um, I think there was another part in your question, which was concerning the what is social media to me. I think this is a whole, <laughs> a whole world <laughs> to discuss. So for me, social media is probably the biggest trap mankind has ever invented, and uh, it is a game to make individuals addicted, such that some organizations they learn about individuals' preferences and make money out of that. And so because of that, we are products. And we are products of these firms. And um, so how can you communicate with uh, your true self when, when you really feel forced to upload one image a day, one story a day, one video a day on every major platform? So what we see on Instagram has unfortunately rarely something to do with art from my point of view. It is less about the why, but most often about the how and the what and kind of the shining uh, in kind of reputational fakes. It's about the likes and the engagement rates and all these numbers. I'm going to talk about the this quantified self in a second. Um, so for me, this is a very terrible trend uh, that this quantified self is, it is extremely self-destructive. In counting numbers, like for example, for calories and uh, how many miles I run this morning, uh, the school grades, the followers, the awards that I've won, the likes, the impact, we really forget, we forgot our real mission. And so I think in the end, the only impact that counts, as I said in the beginning, is probably the one we may have on other people through the person we are and through our presence in the moment and not through a marketing product that we created on Instagram. Mm. And we can only offer this service, I think, if we are really connected to ourselves. And for that, we need to erase the noise in our information-loaded society and listen to our own breath. And this is the biggest challenge, I think. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I'd never heard about that quantified self, but it really hits home for me. I mean, I'm I think if you're if you have set goals for yourself and you're driven and you have passions, you you start to try to figure out how to measure those things, you know. And so, I know for me, like I'm always looking at my watch and like, oh, how many calories have I burned today, <laughs> and you know all that kind of stuff. And I'm, you know, you see the Peloton behind me, and I'm always like, okay, how many minutes have I rode in this, you know, in this month? And and I like numbers and data probably as much as you do uh, as a data scientist, oh. but to your point, that's an incredibly horrible way to to view our impact on the world, right? Yeah, yeah, it it absolutely is, and um, I think we optimize on the wrong dimension at the moment. And uh, so we look to the outside, and so we really try to optimize the out our the outside's perspective on us. <laughs> There's a very famous kind of quote let me think if i'll get that if i can remember that it is by cooley and he said i've gotten all that quote in a in a podcast by jay shetty who write who wrote that book about uh, think like a monk and he said that i am not who you think i am i am not who i think i am 
but I am who I think you think I am. <laughs> and so I really like that because um, there are so many people on Instagram who really think about how what perception they create. And so they think about how others may perceive my Instagram account or my, my images. And so we're optimizing on the wrong dimension because we're looking to the outside. What mm -hmm. we should rather do is looking to the inside and try to get connected. But this is so difficult because we are just kind of uh, embedded in this noisy environment. Do, what about you? Do you? When do you feel the moments and uh, the time to really listen to the inside? Well, I mean, I'm fortunate in that I've got the background in psychology. And so I've spent some time, you know, studying and learning about various experiments that are kind of around some of these issues, especially in social psychology, which is my favorite subdimension of psychology. And um, I'm always kind of brought back to this idea of intrinsic motivation. Um, and there's actually been lots of studies that show that people that are intrinsically motivated um, have more creativity, uh, they're, they're happier, um, they produce more interesting things. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and on about the benefits of, of having an inward focus versus a kind of what you're describing, an in-out-in. <laughs> and so I think, I think that's a very great insight in that if you focus on kind of what your personal motivations are for something and try to just be the best version of yourself and not really measure that based on other people's reactions to it, I think you're going to be a much happier person. And hopefully, yeah, absolutely. Photography. I, I mean, arts has always been driven by melancholy, by negative emotions, but also by positive emotions. So, um, I think the more impactful the emotions are on us, but the more we allow them to uh, emerge and appear, the more we accept them, the more we infuse our art and our our outcome. I definitely believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a great introduction to one of the burning questions that I had for you. And I think it's something you're interested in talking about as well. And it ties in really nicely to this. And it's really quite simple. Why do you make photographs? <laughs> that is the simplest and the most difficult question. And um, I think I, a while ago, I'll, I, write, I really like and enjoy writing blog articles on my website. And a while ago, I wrote an article and I titled it with uh, Photography is Liquid Emotion of a Frozen Time. And so this is conditional on a very famous quote by Goethe. And he said, music is liquid architecture and architecture is frozen music. And so I, I used a little bit this idea. And so for me, every photograph is a portrait of my unconsciousness. And basically, I photograph in order to live, in order to find my true self, to reconnect with it. And in the beginning of my path, um, maybe like many others, uh, we used photography and the arts to escape from something. And uh, But then I realized that I'm not escaping from something, but I'm moving towards something. And so it was a journey of coming home. Uh, so using my camera was really something about, okay, now I'm, I'm coming home. I really see myself for who I am. And this is from my also humble point of view, what distinguishes the artist from a person with a camera. And as an artist, 
I must art. I, I, I am not just taking images. Uh, I really, I live photography. I smell, hear, feel, and see it. And I'm touching it with my heart and soul. And so I'm embedded with, I embedded probably my whole life into the arts and, and science and the art. And so every creative thought and move is kind of deeply rooted in, in that path of expression. Hmm. So along those same lines, what does your creative process look like and how do you kind of tie in that movement towards something? First of all, I think that there's a very nice quote by, by Minor White. And Minor White said that, mm, be still with yourself until the object of your intention recognizes and acknowledges your presence. And this is very important to me. So I'll never go out. I pre I'm prepared. If I go to another country, for example, I'm prepared. I know the landscapes and I know what I'm going to expect. But I don't go out with the visualization in mind of something that I need to capture. And so I really try to don't capture things for what they are, which is another quote by Minor White, and, but for what else they are. And this I can only do if I'll be present in the moment. So what I do in my creative process, I really try to immerse myself in the landscapes. And I can immerse myself best in strong conditions. I really like when the wind is very strong and if I have snowstorms and sandstorms and if I, I feel myself the best, I really enjoy that. And, um, and your hands are freezing. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, in that moment, it, it might be painful, and uh, but I really enjoy that. And it, it helps me to connect with myself. And, and so I try to go out and then I, I react. Um, Ernst Haas once said, Ernst Haas is one of the photographers that um, I was quite influenced by. And... Uh, he said, you become the atmosphere. And uh, so you should go out and um, dreaming with open eyes. And this quote, dreaming with open eyes, is something that I really enjoy. And so I do that. <laughs> so I go out and I'm dreaming with open eyes. I see things everywhere. I see lines and light and patterns and geometry. So I, as a mathematician, I very much react to geometrical forms. But uh, I really try to react and so then I often I sit down and close my eyes for a while and then I reopen my eyes and see what is in front of me. I think Gaital uh, coined that phrase, which is very nice. And he was talking about the uh, a visual inventory that you create. So mm -hmm. once yeah, you are visual in inventories. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So once you open your eyes, you see things and you make mental marks on these things that you see. For example, there's a leading line coming in or there is um, an S-curve or something like that. And the more of these um, um, events, phenomenon you recognize, the more you build up your visual inventory. And, uh, and so this helps because you're kind of building up your intuition and uh, after a while all these things they become a part of your of your toolbox and so i sit there i'll i'll try to recognize these things but then more important is then there are stories coming up and i very much react on these stories and i always try to listen into what the landscape is telling me <laughs> 
And uh, and then I'll, I'm asking myself, okay, what is the essence of what the landscape is telling me now? And maybe later on we can talk about one of my projects if you want, and then I can go a little bit more specific. Yeah, just real quick on the visual inventories thing. I I learned about that through, he actually wrote a whole article on Nature Photographers Network called The Mindful Photographer, which is where he intro introduced that idea. At least that's the first time I saw it. And it was really nice for me. I, I love that way of thinking about it, especially if you're feeling like a creative block or you're just not able to connect with wherever you're at for some reason, whether it's like how you're feeling or maybe you're just tired or you're exhausted or you know, you're just not feeling it. And what I found is what's really cool about that approach of visual inventory is it's not just your vision that you're using. You know, you literally take off your backpack, you sit down and you're looking around at what objects are, how are they moving, but you're also thinking about what other senses are hitting you. So like the smells and, and what can you hear and, and like, how does the, what is the texture of the rock on your hands and things like that. And that, that really helps you kind of immerse yourself in the landscape, kind of what, kind of what you're describing. And I, I found that a really great way to, um, to, to do composition and to connect to the landscape and to try to find ways to, to photograph it in a way that I experienced. So I, I love visual inventories. So thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. And uh, I'm also a big fan of that. And I think it is always about letting go. Uh, so we are we train our mind uh, with certain processes, with skills, and uh, so sometimes we'll have to just let go and uh, just be able to react. Um, so for me, it is not the intent to create any kind of decorative art, although aesthetics is very important to me, but it's always about art that tells stories and attach people. Unfortunately, Instagram is not the best medium to uh, to translate that. But with time, I've recognized that all the objects that I capture, they the shape of these objects, they are just reflections of my inner self. And uh, so once you recognize that, and then you feel, okay, I'm quite connected. And so this is the tree that is in front of me and has a lot to do with myself. <laughs> so what can I learn about myself? And I really like this idea also that going back to landscapes, you feel connected to because uh, I think Bruce Percy was talking about this idea a while ago. And because this landscape may teach you something. And uh, so I think this is also very, very nice. Yeah. Well, let's talk about taking that concept and actually putting it into practice. So one of the things I really like about your work, and I think it's intentional, and it's intelligent, is um, the way that you work in projects. And so I, I would really love to hear about your kind of approach to photography through that process of engaging in, in projects and, and what that looks like for you. Okay. Um, I can do that in two ways, probably talking about uh, one project as an example and to talk a little bit about how it has emerged over the time. Yes. Yeah, um, would it be helpful? I actually spent some time this morning while I was eating breakfast uh, looking through your your project called Together, uh, which is really interesting and unique and different and something I don't think I would have ever thought to do myself. Um, and if it would be helpful, I can just kind of read a quick snippet from your website that might help people kind of 
conceptualize exactly what we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So yeah, please go ahead. <laughs> awesome. So what you say is, uh, as a so- as a social scientist, I'm interested in interconnections and the importance of social grouping for the well being of the individual. Today, in highly dynamic surroundings, we are pervaded with temptations of consumption, causing us to lose a vital connection to ourselves and our beloved ones. In this work, I've conveyed how togetherness is a duality between the individual and a group, having both enriching, positive, as well as limiting negative aspects that need to be balanced. And then you go on to talk about what the subject of the series is around diptychs of trees uh, near, near your home. And so... Let's talk a little bit about how you even got that thing off the ground. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I've learned that I can't escape who I am. And so I'm a scientist on the one hand, and uh, I'm an artist on the other hand. I also have a family. My father has a very analytical and scientific background, and my mother has an artistic background. And so these two sides have always kind of been battled uh, inside and so I studied actually math and music at the college. And so in music, I was always the mathematician. And in math, I was the musician. And so I always had a, a struggle to find my own path. And um, so I would say that for all my projects, I'm into the arts and science community. And so all my projects, they are infused by scientific ideas uh, or scientific concepts. In my research, I focus on social groups or online communities, for example, and social networks. And in these uh, communities and groups, uh, we have specific concepts that are very important, like attachment, uh, sense of belonging, like social pressure, like norms, uh, reactance, for example. So those are all concepts that tell us a lot about who we are and how we act in a group. And... This is a little bit the background to the story and how did it start? Actually, it was December uh, 2019 and uh, I've always loved trees and I have a very special relationship with them. And when I was born, my father planted three birches in our garden and they accompanied me through my youth. And I often played soccer nearby or sat down next to them listening how they communicate uh, kind of with the wind. And as such, I treat trees also as individual subjects, not kind of the objects in my work. And I try to realize their individuality. And so what happened to me, I went out, it was a very cold winter day. And uh, I told you that this is an area that is called the Swiss Siberia. So it can be very cold. In wintertime, we may have sometimes very harsh conditions, not everywhere, but uh, sometimes there it is quite cold. And it was around minus 15 degrees and there was a lot of wind going. And it was the beginning, actually, of the social or physical distancing. And so Corona was just ahead of us. And we've seen the first kind of instances, the first people with masks were working around in Switzerland. And I was up there on the hillside and I recognized that um, there are groups of trees that stand together and it it almost looked like they are supporting each other. And um, 
there's a high plateau near my hometown. And so what I've discovered is that these trees, they, they join together on that plateau in kind of families. And this gave the trees something very human to me. And I noticed different types of families. So those with the children, those without children, some with many dominant males and others with weaker and uh, who need support probably. And I was struck by the similarity to my own research. And um, so because of that, the idea of the project was born, basically. And uh, so I recognized that I really want to capture how the eye uh, groups in the we or how the I lives in the kind of the social groupings. And um, so I think the first tree that I found was a tree, actually two trees that kind of bended together and they were almost linked together. They were hugging each other. And so for me, that was a perfect mirror of the idea of attachment and uh, so I really like that idea of this attachment. And uh, so then I was searching for more trees that mirror different other concepts, like, as I said in the beginning, like social pressure, for example. Hmm. And I collected all these trees. And pretty much in one day, I had, I don't know, 40, 50 of those images. Wow. That was the beginning. Then I recognized um, that all these social concepts they have a positive side and a negative side. And so, for example, attachment or belongingness can be very positive, but it can also be quite negative if, if you feel that you're too close to someone or you, you feel a pressure of someone. And so then I had this idea of yin and yang. It's almost like that every concept has a positive and a negative side. And because of that positive and the yin and yang, I, I had the idea, okay, why not showing this negative aspect as the blacked or the, the mirrored inversion of the white image and kind of uh, mirror the image and put them both together such that the diptych looks like a yin and yang. And so we have the concept at first and per concept, I have one diptych and the diptych consists of the original image and the mirrored uh, inverted version. And so through that, I thought that I can best reflect this idea that every social concept has a positive or and a negative side or a strength and weakness or something like that. No, I, I love that idea. I mean, I, I'm often with my, my employees, I'm always talking about like, often for most of us, our biggest strengths are often our biggest weaknesses because, and you see that all the time in social media, there's lots of benefits and there's lots of there's lots of negatives to social media as well, and it's not all good and it's not all bad. And I think as individuals, I, I think for, for, for those that are kind of more introspective, I think we can recognize that in ourselves as well. Some of, some of our greatest abilities can also be our biggest weaknesses. So I love, I love the way you did that. And that, that answered a question I was going to have uh, around think why you chose black and white, because it makes it easier to do the inversion and the... That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, and it simplifies also the image. And I'm I'm very into minimalistic. Or I wouldn't say that I'm a minimalist, but I'm very much into simplifications because uh, I'm living in such a noisy world, and uh, so I seek out for that. And so that was also an instrument that I basically use. 
which brings me probably to another thought that I just had through describing that for you, is that uh, just in the last couple of weeks, I was participating from time to time in, in the clubhouse discussion. And and so there were very often I, I realized that people asked the question, how can I improve myself and how can I improve my skills? And how can I develop a personal style? And the personal style is seen as uh, an advanced uh, improvement of yourself, something like that. And um, so I think this is completely, of course, you have to have some basic tools and uh, you have to master these basic tools. But style is, is just a visual strategy that you use in order to express yourself in a specific project. So I can be black and white in one series and I can also be color and use colors in another series because it better helps to express the ideas of that project that I have in mind. Yeah, so often we've, I mean, I know I've done this before, and I think a lot of people in photography, once you kind of reach a certain skill level, you're like, okay, now now what, right? Like, what, where do I want to take my, my photography? And then people kind of get stuck in this idea that, how do I develop my personal style? And I know I've spent lots of time trying to think about that. And I have a feeling we have a very similar advice for people, and I would be curious what do you tend to tell people when they ask, how do I develop personal style? Right, so I'm interested in your advice. And uh, would you like to start? or? <laughs> I mean, mine is, if don't chase it. You know, I think if, if we are curious about the subjects that we photograph and we have an open mind to reacting to the things in the, in the landscape that spark something in us, whether that be an emotion or a reaction or a feeling, whatever that thing is, just own that thing and explore it and don't try to force it into something it's not and do that over and over and over again. Um, and I think through that process over hopefully not you know decades, but probably it's going to take longer than a couple of months or even a year, you're going to naturally develop your own personal style through that process, I think. What do you think? Yeah. I, I totally agree on that. And and I think it is almost Kafkaesque. And there is this book by Franz Kafka called, I think in English it's called The Castle, probably. And uh, in, in German it's called uh, Das Schloss. And there's a quote, and he who seeks does not find, but he who does not seek, seek will be found. And I really like that um, because I see so many young individuals that are in search. Uh, so they often search for personal styles and uh, sometimes they look after likes, engagement, domain authorities, uh, whatever, on rare occasions, probably they reach out for social interactions. But most often they search in the outside, uh, for what I said before. And But if we reach out for all of that, we will not find. And why is that? Because everything is already there. It is just inside. But to get to that place inside, however, we need to let go. Uh, we need to shift the focus to the inside and we may want to give us time and allow ourselves to discover ourselves probably and give permission, for example, to get involved in who we are. Sometimes this is a painful path because you are confronting yourself with the past and with your past experiences. 
But only if then, when you're vulnerable, which doesn't mean you have to share all your pains with the world. And, but <laughs> Look at these 722 photos I made that are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just but, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, yeah, you're right. Um, uh, I think that we have to, in a way, find the essence of our own spirit and uh so we might self-express ourselves then and create art and uh, i think the biggest problem today is that we lost the or we, or we actively train ourselves every day to destroy our self-expressiveness mm -hmm. and because of all the noise and dynamics and we allow it to impact us And this is the biggest problem because we are losing our voice. And uh, so, therefore, I really appreciate um, Guy Tal's approach, for example, or many other artists who say, okay, I'm staying away from social media. I need the solitude. I, I really need time to read my books and think about my work. And, and uh, I really appreciate that. I would, uh, I would really prefer doing that myself and but with a main job and uh, this is probably not possible at least not for now <laughs> well i wanted to pause for a moment to tell listeners about a unique and exclusive offer available only to you i am offering one-on-one -on -one experiences in the desert or mountains where i help you learn to create personally expressive artwork this is your opportunity to ask me anything I will be your personal guide for unlocking your curiosity and helping you discover a path forward in your creativity. Check out the show notes for more information. Okay, let's get back to our great chat with Renee. Well, and I think kind of what we're describing does help a lot to explain some of the trends and things that we see in, in landscape and nature photography in terms of, I think it's a byproduct of people searching for their vision or trying just trying to fit into social groups or, you know, they're asking them, themselves and others, like, how do I become successful or how do I become a good photographer? And, and then I think often people go to social media for the answer and they're looking to see what's popular. And so it's like, well, you know, if I'm going to become successful, then I need to edit my photos in a certain way. And I need to go to these certain locations and, and make these photographs that everyone else has. And I think, I think that's a natural thing that people get kind of caught up in um, because of this search for personal expression. And I would just encourage people to maybe skip that step. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, I guess you can go through it, but you're, I think what's going to happen is you're going to get to the other side of it and look back and realize you spent a lot of time chasing something that's not yours. You know, it's, it's not meaningful to you. It's someone else's thing. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of value in spending the time and lots of failure and lots of introspection, but I think eventually you're going to make better photographs. Absolutely. And this is so, so true. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of these quiet voices and, and I've been thinking about the problem behind that and quite often and i think that social media indeed is one of the problems because all these gamification mechanisms they work perfectly on our on our psychology and um so for me there are probably two ways of learning 
And one way is that you accumulate all the information that you get, which means that probably you uh, you watch all the video tutorials, you read books, you look into photo books, you study the motivation of uh, famous photographers, you go to the arts, to other disciplines, and you accumulate a lot. The problem of this is it takes a lot of time, but the biggest problem is that knowledge gets lost in information, and people, they lose their skill to translate the information that they collect into knowledge. And so they just consume. Uh, or what Chase Jarvis said in his book, Creative Calling, is that uh, uh, create and uh, don't consume. Uh, so many people, they just consume. They consume and binge watch one video tutorial after another. And and this is not getting you anywhere to uh, to progress, I think. There's a second path. Uh, maybe there are others. I don't know. <laughs> I have been. I have to think about more, to think about that more. Um, but at least one second path I know is a very old path, and uh, this is a path of having a mentor, someone who's really listening to and giving you honest feedback and really looking into your concepts and your ideas. And and personally, I like that a lot. In in science we apply that so we're always supervising kind of our students but myself i always enjoy being a student and uh, i have no problems with hierarchies and uh, i i really enjoy being a student of someone who has to say something that i'm not aware of and so that's the best way for me to learn yeah it's it's one of the reasons why i like to go out with some of the friends i have for photography trips because i think we all have different strengths and ways that we see the world and also just different techniques that we're good at. And so, for example, I was on a trip with my friend Shane last March, and he was showing me all this stuff around doing some some time-lapse things and, and, and setting up for some drone photos. And then, but he was super curious about how to set up and compose for star trails and night photography. So we were trading knowledge with each other and giving each other feedback on, you know, more technical things, but I think the same can apply for more of these kind of conceptual and, you know, visualization of your work and things of that nature. So I definitely value that approach as well. I think it's, I think it's harder to find those connections. I think people are afraid to reach out and ask, or they maybe don't know who to ask. And I think sometimes on the receiving end of those requests, Mm. we're not always very good at that. So I think I think that is a, a much more valuable path, though, to your point. This is so important. I, I believe we can learn from from everyone. And so I can learn from my students. I learn from my students every day. And if you just put your ego aside, and uh, so if you appreciate that even if you won a Nobel Prize, if you won all the most important awards in the world, you're still unimportant. In the history of life and the evolution of our world, and you're still unimportant. And once you accept that, and it's probably easier to just um, feel yourself on the same level than everyone else, and you can learn from everyone. And so learning from my kids how they see the world and the way they treat a camera, for example, is just amazing because uh, they are not kind of prisoned in in techniques and in tools and how to 
do specific things. So they let their creativity really go and they do whatever they want. And uh, so sometimes they throw the camera into the air and with a long exposure and see what happens. And and so that was fortunately not my main camera. And, uh, <laughs> but I really enjoy that approach. And I think we can learn a lot through that, yeah. You know, there's a fa- uh, Flickr group that's all about photos where you take the camera and you throw it in the air. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called, but it's, it's, it's yeah, there's a group for that. <laughs> a funny concept. Um, yeah. yeah. I love what you said about the ego, though, because that's something that I wish someone had told me about a long time ago. I, I think back to like 2012, I had bought my first full frame DSLR and, you know, all the lenses and everything. And looking back, and I knew everything, you know, you couldn't teach me anything. I knew it all. And then I look back on it and I'm like, I knew nothing. You know, I, I literally knew nothing. And so I just wish I would have had more of an open mind to to that because I think I would have grown a lot more quickly as a photographer, for sure, if I would have just set aside that ego and just be open to learning what other people can show me. So important. Yeah, absolutely. I think... It is so important and it's it's the ego on the one side, but it is also having um, assumptions on the other side. And so we're a while ago, I also wrote an article on my blog about the unassuming traveler and the one who doesn't make any assumption. And so if we just go out without uh, any assumption and so we'll free up uh, our mind from all the past experiences. And so then we open ourselves for the world and which is a very, which I call, I'm engaged in the study of wonder because I tend to ask a lot of questions. I'm very curious. And uh, so I'm, I can surprise myself also quite often. And uh, I, I really like that. This makes me also very much alive and uh, full of energy. One thing you had um, said to me in our correspondence that really struck a note with me uh, you around this topic, you had said that uh, we may just have a single question that we seek to answer through our photography. And I was just going to ask you, what is yours? What is your single question that you seek to answer? I'd be very happy to know. <laughs> uh, no, really, honestly, I'm. I'm really. I have been searching for that question quite, uh, quite some time. And but now. With that quote from Kafka, I just let it go. And I know that the question will find me with with time. So I have a while ago, I I did an exercise and I was really um, inspired by this exercise. And uh, I went back. This is a technique that comes from photographic art therapy. And I went back into my archives and I, I watched over all the images that I create and I recognized they are kind of images that I repeat and repeat and repeat. It's a kind of a pattern recognition. There are always things that show up again in my, in my work and I, I don't know why. Uh, so for me in my work, uh, it's maybe now getting quite private, and, uh, but I like that uh, I recognize there is very often in my images, there are two sides. And uh, there's also sometimes a chasm that um, kind of breaks the two sides. Mm-hmm. It almost looks like they are falling apart. 
And I recognize that if you look at my image work and go to my Instagram, or go to my website, and you'll find many of these images that have diagonals, but the left side of the diagonal is very much different from the right side and different in terms of the texture, the colors, the patterns. And so I recognize and ask myself, what is happening there? And what is this chasm telling me about myself? And, and so I don't know the question, but what I recognized and my first thought was that probably it is that talking about that rational side uh, in me and this emotional side. I'm very strong on the rational side and I'm very strong on the emotional side. And, uh, and so they are debating each other. And strong is not evaluative it's just descriptive mm -hmm. and uh and so they are debating and it it i often have this feeling that i need to combine them i need to combine both sides in order to create work that that really combines both worlds and so that is my takeaway from now from what i've learned from my archive and uh, but what i'm doing actually is i'm looking back more into my archives and, and in order to try finding these questions and I'm also working actually on a on a tutorial, uh, which is something that I haven't yet seen anywhere else, and which tries to teach uh, in people interested in photography and the art to connect with themselves. And so, where I apply some of these exercises and techniques in order to help them finding their voice, actually. So we are less talking about techniques or post-processing or uh, it can be done yeah if it is helpful if it is a, a tool that brings us to our goal then yes but the main idea is probably to connect with your inner self mm. I, I just wanted to ask you uh, if there is a pattern or um Uh, an image or a composition that you always go into or that you where you feel okay that is a repeating pattern that i can recognize in my own work yeah it's interesting as you were describing this idea of duality i see a lot of that in some of my work especially uh in tele telephoto images i i find that i'm often drawn to finding stuff and i'm not often even conscious of it i think but where there's like a contrast between maybe dead trees and living trees or a lush uh, vegetation and desolation or, you know, big crazy mountains and then gentle rolling hills. So I think mm -hmm. that idea of a kind of competing duality, I think I've just thinking about some of my more recent work, I, I do think there is something there. What that's about, I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But Have I you tried? I want to. So, I want to explore that. I just wanted to say: uh, Have you tried clustering these these images together so that you print them and uh, you like when creating a book, you watch at the prints and you cluster them together to groups, and so that different groups they may tell you different pieces of your story, probably. Yeah, I haven't tried that. Although I think it might be an interesting way to retroactively create a project. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I often think sometimes for myself anyway, I don't, maybe it's just the way that I work, but I'm usually more just reacting to what I see and I'm not always connecting it to something yet. Um, and then I connect it later. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder what that was about or why I, I thought that was something worth photographing. So I think that could be an interesting way to piece together a project after the fact. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, with your background in clinical psychology, I think that uh, you are probably very interested in to find uh, out who you are and or get closer to who you are. And uh, so I think there are two approaches. One is probably top down. So you have an idea for a project, you create a project, and then you follow that path. But there's also this bottom-up approach where you look from the hindsight perspective, you look back and you recognize there are patterns that I've um, captured in the past that, that tell me a story. And I don't think there's anything wrong doing that. And uh, For me, sometimes it's a bit more successful, the top-down approach, because I have more focus mm -hmm. and I can let all the other images go that uh, are possibilities and but i i work a little bit closer and focused on the project that i have in mind right it's gonna be more polished it's gonna i i totally could see how that would be beneficial <laughs> otherwise you're probably spending time cropping or re-editing it to maybe emphasize yeah. the thing you're trying to show yeah absolutely i mean on the other hand uh i i really like also the beauty and aesthetics of our world and uh so i don't uh over um uh com complify what's the word uh or I, i'm not complicated yeah i'm not complicating uh every image by by deep thoughts and uh, i just like that they are coming together and telling me stories and so they are creating projects then over a while and it's also quite interesting at at the moment we call that in in science we call that a natural experiments where natural experiment where things are happening to our world or to to specific locations or places or us and they kind of uh, influence us and if we compare the before and the after we learn something and at the moment with the corona we have a huge natural treatment on all of us and it is going to change all of us the question is how sustainable it'll change us but um, for me, I'm also asking myself, how do I react to the corona situation? How do I react to that feeling of working at home, sitting in front of my video camera for eight hours a day to teach courses and do research? And so this is also a question to see if your output has changed through that period and why it has changed and in what direction it has changed. That is interesting. I, I can only speak for myself in thinking about that question. It's definitely gotten more haphazard. Like I just want to get out and photograph something that looks good to me. And so I think for me, it's mm, made my photography a little bit less cohesive, but maybe that's okay too. It's, it's helped me explore different ideas um, and subjects that maybe I normally wouldn't be drawn to. So but it's interesting if, if I look at your portfolio, I, I'm also able to recognize that you're going more into the abstract elements as well. And, and so it seems also it may be a general trend at the moment that uh, many photographers, they look into abstract intimate scenes, and, and, but also because they may give us something back and uh, they give us more back than the Grand Vista probably. Um, we can probably also learn more about you ourselves again. <laughs> yeah, I think if I were to try to rationalize that for myself, it's probably because for whatever reason, I find myself photographing in conditions where the Grand Vista is not necessarily what's interesting at that moment in time. And so I'm kind of forced by some of the conditional limitations to seek out something else, <laughs> which, which I'm fine with. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Uh, are you working in projects or are you reacting to the landscapes? I wish I could say anything I did was intentional, but it's mostly just reacting to things I see. Yeah. Maybe it is intentional. It is just not uh, consciousness, but the unconsciousness creates right. the intention. <laughs> right. No, I, I do want to focus more on project work. I mean, I am working on a, um, it's not a photography book. It's more of a mountain uh, mountain and hiking guide for the mountain range here in Colorado. But the photography that needs to go into the book is a project for sure. So, you know, but that's less... I don't know, that's less conceptual and more literal, right? It's like, here's this mountain. <laughs> so it, it's yeah, a little different. I think we shouldn't judge. I think it is everything is good when you're motivated to do something and uh, we should just go with the flow and accept that that passion and motivation. And I also had an idea a while ago through the Corona times and uh, about half a year ago. And uh, I thought, okay, I have to, I have to create a book and uh and so then i thought to myself okay i have enough things to do with my main job and my family and uh, my, right. my passion and the arts and uh but i decided to do it anyway because i was just so passionate about this idea and so why not just accepting these ideas and go with them so tell us a little bit more about that book project oh well, i haven't yet talked about that book project and so that's probably the first time i don't know if it's too early but i have nothing to hide uh i recognized a while ago that uh, i asked myself the question what is creativity uh, guy tal uh, has talked in your 200th episode about creativity and how he sees creativity and um so I asked myself, what is creativity in landscape photography? If we are um, in a world of social media where iconic places are repeated over and over and over with the same tools. And, and so where's the creative part? And so then I decided to identify 30 photographers that uh, I personally like a lot. So this is completely subjective and from which I thought they master their discipline. And uh, they are creative in their own <laughs> in their own voice, in, the, in their own language that they speak, and they express uh, their own ideas. And so what I decided then uh, that I want to create a book about this creative process of these 30 photographers. And so I'm basically editing a book. And so what I did is I created a survey and I sent out the survey to these 30 photographers. And so meanwhile, I've received 22 back, I think. And so now I'm editing um, the different chapters and looking through the different creative processes. But it's not only that I'm just collecting interviews, but I'm also writing up my own article about these different creative processes. I try to bring them together. And I've chosen, I've chosen the people in terms of that. Uh, I have analog people and digital people, people who work black and white, people who work in color, people who do composites, uh, people who are naturalists. And so I really have completely different uh elements or, or uh, different extremes and that are represented in the book and uh, i think it is quite fascinating and uh, so for me it is an incredible process uh, so i have just 
kicked that off without knowing uh, what is happening next. Uh, so I've talked to a couple of publishers and uh, also talked to an agent. And, and so now I'm in the process a little bit of thinking to self-publish it or going with a publisher. Uh, but it is a very interesting learning because now I can think of in terms of what paper I'll use and how to bring that together and uh, what, yeah. It's an interesting project. <laughs> well, now you've got a whole community of uh, podcast listeners who are going to hold you accountable to finish that project because it sounds like something that I would love to read. And uh, let me know if you need a book publisher who can help you out with a lot of those questions. I just recently did a podcast with Jerry Greer and um, Wayne Suggs on talking about their process of working together on Wayne's book. It hasn't come out yet, but uh, the book has come out the podcast hasn't and i think cherry would have a lot of really good thoughts for you but it sounds like an amazing oh. idea i love well, it thank you i just wanted to have i wanted to give these modern um masters a little bit more of a voice and so a lot of people criticize the landscape photography is not art and but i do believe there are a lot of creative people and uh who spend a lot of thoughts in their craft and arts and i really wanted to give them a stage and and bring that out a little bit and hopefully i can do that with a project i love it well one thing i was hoping to talk to you about as well is um your your blogs and also your your mailing your emails that you send out to people that sign up for your mailing list because you know I subscribe to a handful of uh, mailing lists and I will say that yours are very different in terms of what they're trying to get across it, I would say it's like a photographer's uh, someone who should sign up as other photographers who want inspiration or something to help them just think about something else that's maybe a different approach to thinking about ph photography. So first of all, keep up the great work on that. But I was um, was hoping you could talk a little bit about your kind of your goals for the mailing list and kind of how do you come up with all of these amazing topics and ideas? Because <laughs> there's a lot. I don't know. It's not the question how I come out with all these ideas. The question is how to not forget the ideas. And uh, so throughout the, day, throughout the day, I have so many ideas and I've created a system that helps me to capture and not forget all my ideas, and uh, which is very important to me. But basically, to answer your question, I think um, these days everything is about uh, authenticity and originality. And the idea of originality comes from origin. And so origin means that who you are and what you have to share and what is inside. And so I try to be original in the way that um, I share what I feel, what I what is inside and with the community that that is following me there so i don't shy away from critical questions and but i have i almost always have a very positive perception of the world and um i think it is something that is very important to me personally that i enjoy kindness and empathy and i practice self-awareness and for me life is less about having and getting but it is more about being and giving and so I really try to give um, people something back. And if they can use it, then even better. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the topics that you write about are 
things that I feel like our listeners would would love. So I would encourage everyone to go to your website, which will be in the show notes and sign up for your newsletter. Cool. Thanks so much. Yeah. And then that's where, the, hopefully that's where they're going to find out about this amazing book project as well, eventually. Uh, they definitely will. Uh, I don't know. Really depends very much also on my my main job and uh, so sure. and how much time I can find. And but it, it'll definitely come. So I am definitely pursuing that project. And um, I can tell you that I I read already uh, a number of chapters and it is really amazing. And uh, because there is so much more to find and behind these photographers and so many of them they shared very personal details about their creative process and mm. which is really amazing on some others i still have to work <laughs> but that is that is my job then yeah i remember jess she was doing a project for nature photographers network where she was doing in-person interviews with people and most of it was around learning about their creative process and I think I was her first guinea pig. And so she came to my house and interviewed me. And, and I was like, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask about this because I haven't really totally figured out my creative process yet. I'm still figuring that out for myself, which is a lot of fun. But and a lot of what I love about the journey of photography is, is that kind of introspection and journey to kind of discover yourself. And so I think for me, the creative process is it's an ongoing thing that constantly changes um uh, it, it definitely does and, uh, and i think you you found your your own creative process and maybe it is very dynamic maybe you're changing it uh, and uh very often i thought that it may be even better to observe these these artists so in the best possible world i would like to have my video camera and just go with them and join them on the trip without talking just observing yes. what they do and I, I think that that would be a very nice uh, product to create. And um, Yeah, awesome. Well, so one more thing that I wanted to cover with you. As someone who is, um, I mean, I know you're humble, but I'm just going to say it. Like you have a, you're a professor of marketing and you spend a lot of time looking at data and trends and understanding what types of marketing works and what doesn't. So I think that would be of high value to a lot of our listeners um, in regards to thinking about how to develop and build your personal brand and actually market it as a photographer. What, what advice would you have for people who are trying to figure that out? Uh, indeed, I'm, I'm teaching personal branding at the university and uh, I have um, um, actually a couple of classes that I teach there. And so students that come up with their personal brands with their first Instagram account and some, sometimes they already have uh, quite advanced brands. And so it is for me a pleasure to just listen in, ask questions and, and see how I can improve what, what they have done. So what would I recommend them to do to summarize that up? It is, um, first of all, I'd like to recommend uh, to everyone in the audience Seth Godin's book uh, about what is marketing. And uh, so I am not an affiliate, and, uh, but I'm a big fan of Seth Godin's work. And he's one of the marketing gurus in the world. And it is a very short book, but you can learn uh, some amazing principles about marketing in that book. And one of these principles in the book, what you can learn is that instead of thinking about a mass audience, 
So the traditional approach in marketing uh, 100 years ago was that we mass market our products. So we have created one product and we have to sell that to as many people as possible. Um, Seth talks about in his book about the minimal viable audience. And so he says that it is better that you just have 10 fans that really are evangelists of your work and uh, start with them and interact with them and work with them. And then it will automatically, organically expand. Mm. So biggest consequence of that idea is, which I like, is that every strategy that implies using bots uh, autom automatiz uh, automatization or um, managing kind of your account will fail. And because it is about the social, it is about uh, the inner action with your fans, uh, with the people. And so I think this is the first takeaway probably for me. Um, what else? I think the first for me is that uh, focus where the happiness lies and go that path. And so in my generation, which is then the after war generation, and so our parents have told, uh, taught, have basically taught us that we should do something that can generate income such that we can raise a family and support the family. And I think that fortunately this has changed a little bit. And I would today, I would more listen into where the happiness lies and follow that path. Uh, second uh, is stop what is poisoning you and uh, ask yourself in every moment, is it necessary? And so we are surrounding ourselves with so many things that poison us from the inside. Um, this can be technology. Um, this can be nutrition. Um, this can be kind of the ego we are fighting with. And so stop consuming what is poisoning you. What else? Um, ah, that's a very important thing. That's one of my favorites. And that's you hear that in my class very often, but I just like that a lot. It is a quote by Dizzy Gillespie, who was a very famous jazz musician. And he said, it, uh, it's taken me all my life to have learned what notes not to play. And this is amazing. And so rather than thinking about what I have to do for my, for my career, for my life, for my development, rather thinking about, okay, what can I erase? What notes can I leave out in order to create a better harmony, a better melody, and which is more imp impactful? And I think this is very important to me. Mm. There are many more things. Um, I think practice is also very important whatever field you're in but the daily practice is so important and i mean i've just started photography in 2015 and uh so in 2015 i realized there's software that is called lightroom or photoshop and there's a processing possible of images and uh, but before, I always had a kind of point-and-shoot camera, and I trained my eye. And I trained my eye almost daily, and I was capturing all kinds of ideas. And so this daily practice, I think, is also very important in whatever craft you're, you're actually in. Writing down ideas is, uh, for me, journaling is very important. And uh, I always try to journal down my ideas. I have a system uh, partly... Uh, digital partly analog 
and where I have notebooks and uh, I have hierarchy of notebooks for different kind of things. And, and I always go back and then mark and highlight ideas. And But this developing um, your idea creation skills, I think is also very important and uh, may lead to surprising outcomes and projects probably. I, I would love to learn a little bit more about that system because I have a similar system where I'm using like Evernote to kind of jot down. Like if I'm thinking of something like, oh, here's an idea. And then, you know, a lot of times those, those things just don't go anywhere. But uh, I would love to hear about what you've done that you've found to be successful in terms of getting your ideas down and then getting them into, you know, having them live somewhere other than in your ideas, <laughs> like in a blog post or, or sure. whatever. I can tell you that I've tried out many different software packages, many different notebooks and systems. And I mean, this is also evolving. I'm not having the perfect system myself, but I have the system that works best for me at the moment. I've also tried out Evernote and uh, didn't work that well for me. I'm still using Evernote for locations. And mm -hmm. So whatever I have ideas about locations, for example, and uh, I, have, I have a collection. Because this tag system uh, in Evernote, uh, the way you organize basically your content in, in Evernote is, uh, is helpful, but is sometimes not reflecting the way I think. I need more like a fluid way of sorting out my ideas. So what do I do? So the most important, no affiliate link, and I'm not affiliated to any of these products, and I'm just a big fan of using them. Um, I think one of the main tools I use, I'm a Mac user, and I have a software which I think may only exist on the Mac. I'm not sure. It's called uh, Scrivener. And Scrivener is a software by Literature and Latte, I think is the, is the name of the company. And it's a software that was created for authors. And uh, the funny thing about that uh, software is that, uh, think about you're writing a book. And so sometimes you have an idea about your main character. And uh, on the other day, you have an idea about the landscape. Uh, the other day, you have an idea about a specific plot, for example. But all these ideas, they come from different angles. And so this software offers you uh, a possibility to write down these ideas and sort these ideas and play around with these ideas. And you can create a very fluid workflow. And I have a huge Scrivener project uh, that uh, integrates all my thoughts. And so almost all my project ideas are uh, inside. I have ideas about my portfolio, my book projects that I'm working with at the moment. Uh, also edit ideas, for example. Sometimes I stumble upon an, a processing idea that I like and I put it down there. And so it's a collection of all my thoughts. And whenever I have something, I put it down there. So that is my electronic digital partner. Um, then I have uh, analog systems that I use. And uh, basically, I'm a morning routine guy. And so I get up quite early in the morning usually. <clears throat> and I like to go through a morning routine. And uh, so there's also some meditation involved and stuff like that. But journaling is also part of that. And uh, whenever I go to bed and uh, I ask myself the biggest question that I have in mind, and in the morning when I start with the, or when I open my journal, I try to write down an answer that I 
that comes to my mind. Just because of going through that uh, while I'm sleeping, uh, sometimes I have surprising insights in the other morning. So I write them down in my journal. And so this is my main journal that I go to every day. Um, then I have a field journal. And in the field journal, this is a very small notebook. And I write down my feelings, my impressions, uh, ideas uh, that I have in the field. Whenever I observe something... And what is very important then from time to time, usually I do this monthly and I go back to all my notes and I highlight some of my past notes and I bring them together to clusters. And out of these clustered notes, I may create a new idea. And so I make a new journal entry and I write down this new idea. So that's basically the way I work. That's amazing. For me, it's very important to have notebooks with me wherever I go. And uh, you will write in front of me at the table. Uh, I can show you at least uh, 10 different notebooks, I think. <laughs> and are they around different themes or like how do you organize the notebooks? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so my big notebook, which is uh, it is also big in size because I like to write down. Sometimes I paint. And uh, so this is the one from my daily routine, which is conditional on that main question that I have in mind. Uh, the field notebook is about the impressions and ideas I have in the field. I have a creative notebook, and in the creative notebook, for example, I write down ideas that I'd like to capture in the field that I haven't yet found the conditions for or just things to try out. And, and, and those can often lead to projects, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, for example, um, Michael Kenner said a while ago, which I, I really liked, um, that once you've found balance, uh, search for imbalance. And uh, so I, I think I was thinking about my my portfolio and my 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 images, and I recognized that I think I found balance. I think I found a way I connect with myself and express that. And now I'm searching the imbalance. And mm -hmm. so you see that there are some ICM images, but I'm working with that. So I have a lot of things that I've done in the past that I haven't yet shown, but I'm really experimenting. I'm searching for the imbalance, and I'm quite enjoying that path. <laughs> Beautiful. No, I, I love that. Thanks for sharing. That's um, I'll have to try Welcome. try a little bit of that. <laughs> awesome, Renee. So wrapping up, I'm curious, uh, who would you recommend for the podcast? Who should our listeners learn more about? I mean, I've been thinking about that question. Um, you told me before, you asked me for that question, and I, I'm a frequent listener of the podcast, and so I have um, quite an overview of people that got recommended in the podcast. And uh, so I really wanted to search out for people that are not that often probably mentioned and highlight them a little bit. Um, However, I start with uh, some big names and uh, because I would just like to listen to them. And so for me, people that I'd really like to listen to are for sure Sebastiao Salgado and uh, Masao Yamamoto. And so I think both are really two of the grandmasters, whatever master means, master is probably not a good word, but they are the creative masterminds that have influenced many, many other people. And um, so I really enjoy their work quite a lot. Um, otherwise, uh, if we look into the field of creative landscape photography and just 
um, in the last year, I've really enjoyed the work of Ruben Wu and Benjamin Everett. Uh, Ruben Wu, because he's just so creative in, in ways he incorporates the light in the images, the way he's uh, pre-conceptualizing all his drone shots and is quite impressive, I think. And Benjamin Everett, because he is uh, such a thoughtful, he's a hustle plot master and he is such a thoughtful uh, person. I really like his captions a lot and the way he creates his, his images. And so the visual creativity is just uh, without limits. <laughs> I really like his work a lot. Yeah, I, uh, I love his work. It, it's People might be surprised to learn that. I actually really like his stuff because most of it is composites and... yeah. Yeah. But it's amazing. It's amazing, and it's so inspirational. And uh, and it, sometimes it looks like coming from a different world, but on the other side, it is really down to earth. I, it's very difficult to describe. But yes. if you read the captions, then you'll you understand it better. Um, lastly, uh, Rafael Rojas is a very uh, an inspirational photographer I've worked with in the past. He's a Swiss photographer. He's not only doing landscapes, but uh, he's also a Hasselblad master, and, but an amazing conceptual person. I think he has lots of things to tell that your, your audience would be very interested in. He's a very uh, analytical, conceptual person as well. And so this is amazing. He has created a master class project uh, where he teaches photography, and which is an amazing program. And uh, so I've participated in that program myself. And so I can... So it's not, I'm not affiliated uh, so far, but um, I really can definitely recommend that. Otherwise, probably, let me think of some more unknown accounts, probably. Patrick Ems is a Swiss photographer, um, a black and white photographer, uh, which I really adore for his uh, simplistic work. And, and last one is a Swiss-French photographer. His name is Samuel Biton. And uh, he is very well known for his panoramic images. And if you see in one of his prints, huge prints and with an amazing quality and a very sensitive feeling for color. And so those are the persons I'd like to, to see in your podcast. Brilliant. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, man, this has been a really fun chat and I feel like I learned so much and I think our listeners are going to really appreciate this episode. So thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. And I know you're going, getting ready to go out camping with one of your daughters. So thanks for yes. carving out this time. Well, thanks so much, Matt. I really appreciate it. And uh, I think Kai said this in, in his uh, episode with you that it's quite strange that if you follow the podcast for quite some time and then you show up on the podcast, that's, it looks a little bit uh, uh yeah, I'm out of the world and so I really appreciate all the questions your time and uh, thanks a lot for inviting me absolutely alright well thanks again to Renee for joining me on the show this week I had such a wonderful time chatting with you and I really really enjoy your imagery keep up the wonderful work you really need to check out his work by going his to his website which can be found in the show notes before we talk about what's coming up on the show, I wanted to personally thank all of the amazing people that are supporting the podcast over on Patreon at patreon.com slash fstopandlisten. 
I'm especially thankful for our podcast producers who contribute over $20 per month, which ensures that we can continue to provide thoughtful discussions week in and week out. A high tide raises all ships, so if and when you can, please reach out and support these amazing people and what they are doing for the photography community. You can find a link to each of their websites over on my website at mattpainphotography.com. Without further ado, thank you to these amazing people, Gary Randall, David Kingham, Eric Stensland, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Ken Dono, Anton Everine, William Nurse, Richard Wong, Matthias Joland, Suzanne Mathia, Frank Otto Peterson, Michael Rung, John Whitaker, Joshua Wallace, Drew Armstrong, Jim Valancourt, Jennifer King, Craig Young, Adam Bulliard, Michael DeMiola, Chuck Mora, Jacob Buchowski, J. Fritz Rumpf, Charlie Vandenbrock, Jose Panacook, Anton Gorlin, and Rob Patterson. Whew. All right, let's talk about who's coming up on the show. I have been really busy recruiting and nailing down new guests for the show, and I hope to cover a lot of new territory. I've already recorded with Danielle Hayden. She's a former corporate CFO who came on to the show to talk about important financial topics that I think will help photographers of all stripes, whether you're a hobbyist, part-time professional, or full-time professional, or somewhere in between. We've also got some other awesome guests and episodes coming, including one with Krista McCuish, uh, Richard Wong, Carolyn Chang, Joel Truckenbrod, Kath Simmerd, Paul Schmidt, Lisa LaPointe, Mark Denny, Scott Wilson, Zoe Bamantuin, Camille Seaman, Julian Elliott, and more. We're also doing a special panel on the slow photography movement and a panel on mental health. Whew. All right. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in and collaborating with us and listening. We'll see you next week.